It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. On today's show, the Cleveland Cavaliers win on trade deadline day, and someone, maybe two people even, who they could have traded showed you why they did not need to make a deal at the deadline. Let's dive into Cavs Nets on a new Locked On Cavs. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. want to tell you too that we do have a live streamed episode up right now on youtube or wherever you're listening to this right now evan and i did a 30 minute reaction to the deadline in full that you can go check out in your feeds right now we'll talk about the deadline i think more in context of this game and that is coming but i am chris manning that is evan damrell jake stevens is is back producing after taking off the live show and listen, but actually, actually, I can't even say he took it off because Jake, because he's a real pro, was texting our group text, helping us make little adjustments to the audio in real time. Jake, well, pros, pro, Mister Marrier, and probably double dutying as a security bouncer. So I'm going to be thinking about Jake having to break up fights for a long time. And honest, honestly, Evan, I told you that the other night. I'm not sure if you were that impressed. If I'm being honest, I, <clears throat> Jake, um. He's sneaky athletic. Um, he he so has a good white basketball player. Good white basketball player. Saying. Like um, he is in a love phase all the time for everyone and anything. But if he needs to flip the switch, it's game mode for game time for him. All right, Cavs Nets. Cleveland wins one eighteen to ninety five behind a stout defensive effort. And Evan, that's where I think we have to start here. They come out of the third in the out of the half. On a 21-0 run, the defense was absolutely on point. 13 blocks, I believe, as a team is season high. 
in blocks for the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Nets' offense just never had a shot in this one. And as much as I think we have talked about the offense for this group and how the offense resurgence and figuring stuff out and the evolution has done a lot for this team, there is a really compelling story to me you could tell about how the Cavs' defense getting back to an elite level is just as important, Darius, and maybe even more important than, than where the offense has gotten to over the last several weeks. Yeah, the so this game was interesting. So in the first half, they were... I'll check the score here. The Cavs are up 59 to 51, but like a lot of like going back and forth. And I was honestly surprised um, considering that the Nets didn't have Dorian Finney-Smith in this one. They had just traded Royce O'Neal, Spencer Dinwiddie as well. All the new faces they had gotten obviously weren't available yet. And Brooklyn really um, came out and gave the Cavs as much as they could. It was very similar to the game the night before against Washington where it felt like the Cavs maybe were a bit like a cat playing with their food, waiting for the opportunity to kind of put this game away. And there was some sameness in that regard where in the first half, Cleveland like really just kind of kept Brooklyn in arm's length away, but there's still a chance. But then, like you said, they opened up the second half on a 21 nothing run, and they just really turned up the defensive screws quite a bit. And I'm pulling up the Cavs' um, stats page right now. Um, the season high 13 blocks, I think really does crystallize like how good Cleveland was defensively, just because they were protecting the paint, they're walling them off. And it wasn't just like the usual suspects getting these, um, deflections at the rim. Like sure. Evan Mobley had two, Jared Allen had two, but it was a combination of Donovan Mitchell and Isaac Okoro that led the team in blocks tonight against Brooklyn. So it was a total team effort and it is just translating to how this team plays where their defense kind of sets the tone for them to get out on offense and play faster. But yeah, this was a, this is a game where if you want to be a big boy in the Eastern conference, if you want to be like a legitimate team on the NBA level, you can put away a team that you are better than at any moment and you can flip the switch and then just ride it out till the end. Here, run through who had blocks in this game. Donovan Mitchell, three, tie, uh, new career high for him. Isaac Okoro with three. Evan Mobley with two. Jared Allen with two. Dean Wade will get to him, two. Damian Jones, in three minutes, um, had a block. Just came out and made blocks. I, he, he puts up stats in such a limited time. Um, it's really fascinating. Like If you just look at the box score, you're like, man, Damian Jones should get minutes and then you watch him play, watch him for play two minutes, you kind of you know, yeah. get a better understanding of it. It's also Garbo time, so it's hard to really get a full scope of it. But he does know how to stuff the stat sheet in limited minutes. He is like literally the my player with no VC investment into like 14th man. You're just going to go absolutely haywire, like shot wise, rebound and assist and block and steal wise and get as many stats as you can just so you can get more minutes, hopefully. If you then go look at the Nets as a team and you look at where they got their points from, Mikael Bridges was pretty much the only efficient player for them. He had 26 and 10 to 23 from the field, was 5 of 13 from three. Cam Thomas, who has given the Cavs a lot of fits this year, um, him and Mitchell have kind of been the dueling scorers in the matchups between Brooklyn and Cleveland, had 17, but it was on 6 of 18 shooting. It was 2 of 4 from three, so very inefficient inside the rim. Trent Wadford was 5 of 13. No other net was in double figures in this game, which is, which is a, I think, a testament to how just locked in the Cavs' defense was. And you look at every single number you could look at, whether it's defensive rating for Cleveland, whether you look at where, how the Nets, where the Nets shot in this game, there's, there's nothing the Nets did that did well. And, and I, mean, I mean, to layer that in even more, 
so the Nets poor offensive rating. You know, didn't get to the free throw line very much. Didn't shoot well at the rim or in the mid range. They shot it well enough from three, which is how I think this game stays a little bit close. Both teams are at about forty percent from three. But the Cavs held them in check by, despite the Nets doing a really good job, all things considered, not turning the ball over. So this wasn't just like the Nets were sloppy and the Cavs took advantage. You break down this film, you break down how the Cavs defended. It was getting legitimate stops. Like it wasn't having forced turnovers and rely on that, which is it don't. There's a lot of merit to that, but this was getting stop after stop after stop after stop. And that to me, if you're building a story about where the Cavs are going, that to me is. That that gets me almost as excited as as well maybe not as much as the way Evan Mobley is playing right now which we'll get to but he's there is a he's, that boy good there's a lot of there's a lot of upside to me in just where this defense is going and I'm quite excited about that yeah there's no reason not to be excited and I think it's not just the fact that again like the headliners it, it it is Jared Allen it is Evan Mobley leading the pack on either end of the floor especially on defense but you're really seeing this emergence from Isaac Okoro where he's playing much much better um on either end of the floor like he's not just a one trick pony out there for Cleveland like he's able to give them legitimate like 3 and D 2 way impact and you're also just seeing like the collective effort of like a guy like Dean Wade um who we'll touch on pretty soon here in the show or like Donovan Mitchell who I always joke about this but like whenever you see Donovan Mitchell doing something like really good defensively whether it's just like playing solid um team or individual or positional or help defense like Quinn Snyder's punching air even though he's in Atlanta because he's dealing with another guard who won't try on defense but maybe he doesn't have the physical abilities to do so but um either way like this 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 is really interesting to me because for a while, especially when the Cavs um, started getting really hot offensively, they became much more three-point dependent and heavy. Um, the defense sagged a little bit just because like they're expending more energy on offense, but you're starting to see that equilibrium, and for those listening and not watching, I'm holding up my hands on an even level here, um, where the defense and the offense are on the same page, and like this is a very good, possibly elite two-way team um, Like in the last... 17 18 games are like number one or number two in net rating but either way like the the, the defense is meaning the offense that the offense took a dramatic leap and it's fun to watch like the Cavs just really grind opponents into dust like they haven't had a switch flip like this since lebron was last in town not saying like on the same level here it's not championship robust this year but like there is something different about this Cavs team at least even compared to last year of just how good they are on either end of the floor with the defense dictating everything Coming up next, the standout performances. We're going to get into Evan Mobley, Donovan Mitchell. I think maybe a little check-in on Darius Garland as well, but that's coming up on Lockdown Cavs. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors has teamed up with Lockdown Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week, all season long. Whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster. So let's see who Josh has picked out for us in this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. A name that I like is Benedict Matherin. Josh writes that Buddy Heald is now in Philadelphia, so that should now mean more minutes for Matherin. Another name on his roster I liked 
is Oscar Thompson. The Pistons overhaul their roster. Josh Wright, and we can only hope that Monty Williams will bump Oscar back into a large role. Josh Lloyd from Lockdown Fantasy Basketball is going to help you win your fantasy championship. And eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. That is the same with your vehicle. If you have a personal experience with eBay Motors, you should let us know. We'd love to share it here on the show. But I love my Ford Bronco that I have, and I have a whole list of detailed parts picked out on eBay Motors for my Bronco in case I ever need anything, or I just want to buy the latest accessory that I could want for my Bronco. It's well worth it. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack bumpers, Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay guaranteed fit is only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, and exclusions apply. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Back here, let's get into standout performances. Evan, who's, who from this game to you is the person whose performances are going to stick with you the most as we go forward here. So other than Dean Wade, I think Darius Garland played very well in this game, even though he did go 0-3 from three. He had 14.7 assists in about 28-ish minutes of action. Um, only two fouls, a steal, two turnovers. Like I think the assist to turnover ratio is like the more important thing here, but you're starting to see slowly but surely Darius Garland is finding a bit of his groove again. And I think people who are saying that Darius Garland should come off the bench or the Cavs should have entertained trading him and just leaving him Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley who clicked a little bit faster than Garland did are probably going to end up eating crow just because like he does have a lot more physical limitations and hurdles he had to clear compared to Mobley. And, um, I just think we're starting to see him find a bit of his groove again, especially like with this new offensive system. Sure, you wish he was taking more threes, but it's also limited minutes. We don't have a full scope of what was going on. Plus, the Cavs are beating the bricks off the nets at one point. So, like, there there is a moment when the Cavs do take the foot off the gas. I think the number one thing with Darius Garland to figure out right now, Evan is what he's doing off ball when he doesn't have the ball in his hands because there's just a lot of standing around and no one else is standing around anymore. He has to, I think. that That's the next thing. I think tonight was a step forward with him a little bit, but I do think there, the next step is going to be figuring out more of, of what he can do um, off ball instead of just kind of waiting around for the ball to come back his way. 
Yeah, I think that's always going to be part of the hurdle. Um, a lot of last year in especially this season, it was a lot of your turn, my turn between him and Donovan Mitchell. And the Cavs are doing the right thing by riding the hot hand. And Mitchell, like, he has not cooled down whatsoever. I mean, frankly, like, he should probably be a little bit more in the MVP conversation, just how outstanding he's been in this, I know, 20-plus game sample. But regardless, um, Garland is kind of learning a little bit on the fly because uh, there's only so much you can do in practice of playing off ball of Mitchell and maybe moving a bit more on the offense and just the the general flow of things. And that's a little bit of a coaching thing too. Like I'm sure the Cavs can maybe run some plays where Garland is getting the benefit of screens and moving off ball and kind of get him moving a bit more just so he can bend the gravity or the start of the defense with his gravity a bit more, but it's going to be a work in progress. It was never going to be a seamless pickup for him. I I felt that Mobley, or I always felt rather that uh, Mobley would have an easier time picking things up just because he's not as, you know, uh, usage dependent, like he's much more reliant on guards at times. Whereas Garland, like very much is used to having the ball in his hands and running the offense as he sees fit. And the Cavs are trying to make sure that um, kind of fits into what's working now, or at least what's been working while he was gone. For me, this you could go with Mitchell and I, I think you could just be like, oh, he had 27 and four and three blocks and like he was again great. He's having in some ways a better season than last year. I, I think that is more than fair. Evan Mobley, though, um, I think the leap is happening. I think what we are starting to see with Mobley, only 25 minutes in this one, just still kind of fully working his way back, but he had 14 and 12. He had two blocks, but he felt like he contested just way, way more shots than that. He's popping into spots for three, even if he didn't um, take one in this game, I think, and he had a really a two really nice assists in this game as well. I the last couple games have just made my made me uber uber curious about him, and I I kind of think the leap for him is just actually happening now. Like I I think there is obviously a lot more time you need to fully feel that, but my goodness, I think the he is playing at just a kind of insane level right now, and it's. It is noticeable how good I think he has looked of late, and it would make me very, very encouraged if I'm Cleveland. I mean, it's six games back now. He's averaging about 16 points, 10 rebounds, three assists, a steal and a block, and just 24.3 minutes per game. Like, that's pretty nutty considering he's still on that minute restriction. And Kobe Altman said during his media availability post trade deadline that the hope is that Mobley will be off the minute restriction. Um, post all-star break i think it is encouraging that he played both games in this back-to-back just because of his knee and everything else but like yeah uh after the first game um where he said like clearly he didn't feel like he was in proper shape that he needed to kind of up his stamina a little bit and find his wind out there game two on like two through six of him being back so far like have been stellar i mean i think the biggest thing for me is like you said He's reading and reacting to how defenses are playing him. He is playing within the flow of Cleveland's offense, but also like being hyper-aggressive every time he has the ball in his hands or playing off-ball to somebody else. He is making winning plays on either end of the floor and has really just acclimated nicely to how Cleveland's trying to attack things both on defense and offense. And like you said, like I'm excited to see what that maybe next level is or 
okay, Evan Mobley has been doing X, Y, and Z really well for a while now. What is next for him? Because the sky's the limit for him, um, or the sky's the floor rather. And like the limit we can't even comprehend because he's starting to level up. Um, again, John Michael noted this during the Wizards game that he worked like tirelessly on his three point shot. And against this game against the Nets, like you said, he didn't attempt a single one, but like, was pulling defenses or Brooklyn's defense rather out of the paint and just kind of finding easier opportunities to kick to somebody else or like defenses were collapsing and really reacting to him because he's it's on the scouting report that he can hurt you from three at times too now. So Mobley is, uh, he's pretty freaking good. Um, so, sorry for my language for anyone listening, but like he's just, he's really good at basketball. And I think as he continues to level up and grow and kind of find out who he is as a player in year three, there is going to come a point where we kind of say this team will only go as far as Evan Mobley's limitations allow him to carry them. Last thing on him. I am almost wondering if there was something with the knee that was wrong for longer than we knew before he got surgery with how yeah. fresh he has looked since he got back. <sighs> well, the added rest certainly helps, but the way he attacked the recovery is interesting to me because it was like two or three or four days removed from the arthroscopic procedure. And he wasn't on like standard crutches. Like he was able to put pressure on his left leg with the assistance of a crutch while walking. And then JB Bakerstaff's just like, okay, as soon as like was told what he had to do, he would attack it relentlessly because he wanted to heal as quickly as possible. And maybe he does have that like Wolverine, um, super healing factor or something like that, or maybe his bones are made. Maybe during the procedure they he they injected adamantium into his skeleton. Maybe that's what the procedure was. But um, either way, um, or is it vibranium? Either way, um, it's just it's insane to think like yeah, this dude is six games removed coming back after being a month and a half after having knee surgery, and he looks like he hasn't missed a beat, and he's way more energized than he was to start the season. And yeah, I, I do wonder like how long was he dealing with this issue. And maybe that was kind of hampering things when we were saying like, what the heck's going on with Evan Mobley to start the season? Just because he's like, he's not popping like we thought he would in year three. After this, Dean Wade had a solid game and why that level of player they already had. So why to go trade for another one? Let's talk about that after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Nissan. Nissan is ha- has got the best SUV lineup out there right now. Are you the next the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? Ever wonder what adventure could be around the corner? Our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take you to your next level. The 2024 Nissan Rogue, for instance, is perfect for city drivers and great escapes. Class exclusive Google built in your in your is built in as you're always updating assistant. You call on for almost anything. Gone are the days of connecting your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right in to the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system. The 2024 Rogue is the perfect mid-size crossover for your next adventure. There's also the 2024 Nissan Armada. It will change what you expect from a full-size SUV. Picture a rugged 4x4 that can seat up to 8 in a first-class luxury and style to- too big to tow bigger and explore further in the 2024 armada there's also the 2024 nissan pathfinder take the nissan rogue nissan pathfinder or nissan armada 
and go find your next big adventure. Shop NissanUSA.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So Dean Wade, Evan, I look at him, and you look at this game for him. 16 minutes, 16 minutes, 30 seconds, 3 or 4 from the field, all from 3. 9 points, had just 1 rebound, and had the, had the 2 blocks. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Dean Wade is like an all-star level bench guy, is like a super sub. It certainly, I, I think the way he has played of late is the best version of him where he's letting his shots go. He is more active. He just He's playing more confidently in a way that has not always been the case for him. It's been one of the real hindrances when he's not playing with confidence. But I would posit, I would argue that this is the kind of guy that when you have them and he's making like, six million dollars and he's not making as much as Royce O'Neal and is a little bit younger I I think if you just look at how he played in this game and look at what he gives you even if there are some limitations and there's going to be some nights where he plays less than he needed in this game or whatever I just kind of think this is the kind of guy you just want to already have and I don't I ultimately just look at a game like this and I think I'm reminded you don't really need to go out and spend for another guy just because maybe that guy is better once with him. I think this this he fits what they're doing right now in a way that I feel pretty good if I'm Cleveland about not flipping him and trying to upgrade on him. Well, we did talk about this on the live stream. The, would you rather have Royce O'Neal or Dean Wade, considering what Phoenix gave up to get Royce O'Neal? And it, it is multiple things. Like It is the salary. It's not a one-for-one match. Like Cleveland would have to give up several players i'd say like a combination of dean wade jerome and jones but like wade or somebody else too just to like maybe and maybe a coral maybe and maybe a coral might have to be in there as as an upgrade piece yeah like the Cavs don't have the assets but kobe ellen did stress this during his um post deadline media availability like they really need to lean on and utilize the charge a lot more to develop in-house support pieces whether it's Lamar Stevens of the past or Craig Porter Jr. currently on a two-way or Sam Merrill with the charge last year who really worked his way up the ranks after being the first overall pick in the G League draft or I think the biggest success story for them at least in this more recent Cavs era is Dean Wade where he has become a very seamless fit for them and like we talk about how we wish he took more three-pointers I think that'll always be my biggest knock against Wade is sometimes he's wide open and he sometimes passes up open looks and He's admitted in the past that uh, his coaches and teammates like don't yell at him about it, but tell him like, "Hey, you need to be taking those shots if you're open." But 
it's different saying one thing and then actually executing it in a high pressure situation. But yeah, Wade is bigger than O'Neal. I think the fact that he's more of a, he is a natural four that can comfortably play the three after being forced to do so for a few years is helped. I think he can play small ball five, which is something O'Neal can't do. Um, but more than anything, it, it's the continuity aspect. I think <clears throat> anyone on this roster that has been with Dean Wade from when he was a UDFA to where he's at now, like they have that familiarity, they have that trust, they have that security with one another in him where he can provide you impactful minutes. And I think now at least like the, the Cavs have other options. If Wade isn't giving it to you the way you hope he does that night, like you can lean more on George Niang. Maybe you look more at Sam Merrill. Maybe you lean more on Isaac Okoro, Karis LeVert. Like the Cavs do have the luxury of depth and strength and numbers where like, it's not all a, Dean, um, you are were once a marginal role player for us. You're kind of a not a staple, but like close to being a staple bench guy for us now, too. But in the past, like that wasn't a recipe for success, whereas now, like, yeah, it works. But I think just the multi positional attributes he has, the defensive upside, and just like the stretchiness that he gives you as a three point shooter, like can't be understated. And the fact that he's just bigger than O'Neill, like that, that helps a lot, too. And considering what Again, what Phoenix gave up to get O'Neal, like I, I just, if I were the Cavs, like I would politely decline that conversation just because you might be giving away more than you need to for a guy that may not move the needle as much as Dean Wade already is for you. I think you look at his route too, and what you said about the charge will continue to be true for Cleveland. For everyone, it's going to be a trend, I think, in the league as you go forward. You look at how Dean Wade got here in the first place. UDFA in 2019, this is someone that had injury issues at Kansas State. Had a senior season ended um, early, so he doesn't he doesn't end his career in the way he would have liked. He is, I think, mm-hmm. by a lot of draft people at the time, considered a draft quality prospect. But the injury stuff scares people off. And it's about well, a two way. It, it's he's also was like a four or five coming out of college with foot problems, and yeah, that's a red flag. Yeah, that's, if you're a bigger that's, player. Yeah, that shoes. Yeah, that's what I meant by the injuries. Okay, I just wanted to provide clarity for people who maybe did. Yeah, he is. This is after he has a pretty good college career. He was the Mr. Basketball at Kansas, goes to Kansas State. He's a two-time All-Big 12 player. Comes to the NBA, is on a two-way. He put a, like his numbers in the G League in, in just like 29 games are pretty, in 29 of 30 games they started, they're pretty decent, 14.7.6 rebounds. Not like eye-popping numbers, but like decent numbers. Gets a multi-year deal in 2020. He gets to start a little bit in 2021, the COVID year, after Lowry Marketing gets in the COVID protocols. Ends up having surgery that year. Um, before last year, he gets his option picked up, and then he sends a multi-year deal. He's had some injury issues in the NBA. You know, he's, he played in 63 games in 2020-21, played in only 51 last year, was a spot starter. This year, he looks like he's going to play closer to that 63 number, health permitting, about the same minutes he's played. And he settled into just being, hey, I can, sp- I can spot start and I can be a competent bench player. And is he maybe a little light rebounding? Does he maybe shoot enough? Are his numbers super eye-popping? No, but he's quality and tough and, and does very specific things that I think fit. And there's, there's something to... It's, this is maybe more of an off-season dive for us, Evan, but I, th- I think there is a way to look at the kind of guys that the Cavs have signed in the Kobe Altman era, whether it's Dean Wade, Craig Porter... And like trying to see if there are through lines of characteristics that they that they go for in a room, but not just like what they say they are, because often those are buzzwords that don't mean anything. But if there's something in 
like what the, they're getting. And Amani Bates is, I think, kind of the outlier to that in a lot of ways. But there's something in Dean Wade that is a template, I think, for what they have gone for. But he, he getting a guy that you got as a UDFA and on a two-way that becomes a rotation player for you five, six years down the road on a really affordable contract, that that's a development win no matter how you spin it. Well, if you look at like Craig Porter Jr. or even Dean Wade, they are low ceiling, high floor type players where they are, they play their entire collegiate career. I think you have a pretty firm understanding of what they are going to be at the next level. Maybe there's some wrinkles you believe your player development staff or even the uh, G League coaching staff could iron out for you if you have like a clear plan set in place. And I think that is the interesting thing, like because at least under Bickerstaff, every assistant coach with the charge has been uh, either a JV Bickerstaff assistant getting coaching experience or something else. But like there's a set in stone plan. And like you said, Amani Bates is a bit of the outliers because like there's a lot, a lot, a lot of upside there because he's so incredibly young and raw and unrefined that there's a lot of wiggle room to figure out what he can be as a player. But looking at Wade or looking at Porter Jr., um, yeah, I think there is an archetype there. Like it's a guy who is entering his senior year is going to be lower because of age in the draft um if he goes undrafted i think that's beneficial for cleveland because you can kind of use the pedigree of like we can develop dudes and kind of keep fleshing out our system and program at that and i think there is a path for that but to jump back to wade like we talked about this last season ever since he had that shoulder surgery it felt like any semblance of confidence he had uh, was sapped as soon as he had that injury. Then he came back from surgery and like it looked like he was a shell of himself out there. And I do legitimately wonder, like, if you asked him, he's like, oh, yeah, my confidence never wavered, blah, blah, blah. And like the it coaching staff like and players would say the same thing. But like he does feel like he's much more confident out there. But it's a two way street where like coaching staff and his teammates are also confident in him and trust him in those high pressure situations to deliver on what they need him to do out there and winning helps a lot. I think his shot falling a little bit more consistently helps a lot more too, but you can tell Wade's confidence is back. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, as long as he's feeling comfortable in his body physically, and he's also trusting him his game mentally, like he will give you what you need from him. If you're the Cavs. It feels like something mentally unlocked for him to me. It really like the does. roadblocks he was dealing with last year are in the rear view, and he's not letting that deter him, even if they sometimes flare up because everyone's human. Let's end there. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Darmel. We'll be back on Monday with more Locked on Cavs. Cleveland does play on Saturday against Toronto, so we'll talk about that game, I'm sure, and get you ready for the last week ahead before the All-Star break. We've got Cavs Raptors Saturday, Cavs Sixers in Cleveland on Monday, and then on Valentine's Day, Cavs Bulls, where Andre Drummond is back in Cleveland after not being traded by the Bulls times. All right, we'll talk on Monday. Thanks again to Jake Stevens, as always. Check out our live stream episode that you can listen to the replay of or watch the replay of right now if you want our full trade deadline thoughts. And check out all of the great Lockdown shows, including Lockdown Fantasy Basketball, where they cover the deadline, and every team show covering all of the moves and the moves that didn't happen across the league. Until next time, I'm Chris. That's Evan. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 
96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.